Blog Talk Radio.
chatting that um, finding a connection with uh, a loved one isn't, again, just for a child. It's for anyone uh, to get in touch with their parents, their siblings, their partners, their relatives, whoever. It's just a matter of listening carefully to what you have to say and, and learning how to connect. Would you agree? I would agree completely. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I start off yeah, it, by it saying, saying how very sorry I am for your loss, and uh, I'm sure that uh, you hear that a lot. And none of us can fully, truly understand what you went through unless we've been through it ourselves. So I'm going to ask you now to tell us a little bit about your story. Well, uh, thank you, Pat. And I I really appreciate you giving me a chance to kind of share the story and share the background on this. Um, the the grief of losing a child is a, it's tremendous. Uh, the pain is something I wouldn't wish on anyone. Um, the odd thing for me was that even through all that pain, I couldn't shake the feeling that my son was still around me. And initially, coming from a science-based background, I, I thought it was just denial, a coping mechanism for dealing with loss. And uh, that was uh, really a problem for me because my view of consciousness at that point was that it was a byproduct of the chemical reactions in the brain. In my worldview, everything I was resided inside my body. My thoughts, my memories, my analytical mind, my sense of identification, all that resided somewhere in that three pounds of gray matter that floated around mm-hmm. my skull. And in my view, that was simple and self-evident. Um, I, it didn't require questioning because I had ex- hadn't experienced anything that made me think otherwise until the day my son died. And uh, I just couldn't shake the feeling that Davey was still around me. And it didn't match up with my belief system. And so uh, that's really where this, you know, the journey, if you will, not the book, but the journey begins. And uh, I actually start the book off with the, uh, and, and, uh, and you related to me, Pat, that you had read the book, that the beginning mm-hmm. of the book really is to kind of take people down the path so they understand the depth of the challenges that you face when you lose a child. Because when people see me now and they see this happy guy that jokes around and has fun, um, just two years after my son passed, they kind of, there's, a, there's a disconnect there. And so I wanted to make sure in the book that I make it very clear how deep that pain can go and then try to make sure that they see the journey itself uh, required effort. It required focus um, to kind of be able to learn not only to, to move beyond the belief systems I had, which was what was initially holding me back and creating these doubts, but then to learn how to explore and connect even better and expand that connection and start to and eliminate those doubts. You know, I'm hearing a voice that I believe is my son. I can't, I can't think, I'm thinking, oh, I'm just making that up. And it's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and once I started to believe that, once I started to actually embrace it, then it, it got better. It got stronger. It got more detailed. He started to communicate things to me that only he would know and in ways that weren't what a traditional 
evidential medium would do, but in a way that he explored things with me that helped me understand things. And, uh, and I share a lot of that in the book uh, because he shared so much with me. It was just such a powerful initial connection. And uh, I that's really what, what... I the loved book. the book. And what I, you, I told you that I read it overnight. I mean, I, I immediately sat down when you sent it to me and I, I read the first half and I couldn't wait to get to the second half. And I read that the next day. And I loved the journey. I loved the fact that you took us back and forth and back and forth uh, throughout the whole story. And I just found it to be incredible. And I, I so hope that everybody listening does grab hold of it and read it because it's uh, your, your journey and your wife's journey, obviously, was amazing. So I'm sorry I interrupted you, but keep going. Oh, no, not at all, Pat. I, I uh you know, it's, it, I, I appreciate you mentioning my wife because she's such a pivotal part of this. Um, you know, my wife had been on a spiritual journey for a while before I was. I honestly had no spiritual perspective. Um, it just didn't resonate with me. Uh, and you can attribute that to my engineering and science background. And, you know, mainstream science doesn't accept that consciousness it can exist beyond physical death. Um, that's pretty much a pattern you see consistently until you dig and you see that there's so much evidence that a scientist could look at and say, well, that seems there's no way that this is possible unless consciousness can actually survive physical death. And I found it kind of fascinating now being on the other side of it and looking at it and saying, well, why isn't anybody paying attention to all the evidence that, I mean, there's verifiable evidence that it's there, not just anecdotal evidence. Um, that I find absolutely fascinating. So as, a, as an engineer, I, I kind of look at it and say, that's kind of odd. But my wife had been on that journey. And so when she started, you know, saying, here, read this, and here, look at this, and here's, here's something that would help you, uh, then because I was, I was so deep in the grief and it, was, it seemed so dark and so I, I didn't have a way of navigating out, I grabbed anything I could. And suddenly I started not only feeling that the connection that I had with my son, that thing that I couldn't wrap my head around and believe initially, all of a sudden I'm reading things that validated the things I was feeling. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff that most people that have a spiritual background that have been on a spiritual journey for a long time, just assume that people know uh, Mm -hmm. that, that earth is a school that people come to to learn and that this happens and that that happens and this is a soul's journey and that we have many lives and, and all that was completely new to me. And yet my son is telling me this and then I'm reading about it later. And so that was my validation. And so it was a kind of a reverse validation for me. Um, I actually started to experience it before and it was beautiful. I find it yeah, fascinating. Was... You know, I, I teach this to people, and I am like that school that you talk about, but they're few and far between. You know, there's people all around. There's amazing mediums all over this world. Uh, this country is filled with them. And, uh, you know, they come to me and they look at me and they say, well, I don't understand how to do this. And I, I try to tell them it, it's just, listening 
it's feeling. It's a combination of several things, and and most of all is believing. Uh, this the song that I had on the Josh Groban song, if you just believe is one of my favorite songs, and it's my ringtone on my phone. So I put it on here, and I was listening to it, waiting for the show to start, and it just kind of fit the bill for tonight. And uh, mm-hmm. it is it is about people just believing, and that's tough for a science-based guy. Uh, I've had a few of them come by me, a few women, uh, one woman in particular who lost her son, and uh, she was totally science-based. And this was crazy to her. But once she started channeling her son, oh, my goodness. And I know she planned on writing a book. And I said it's that science brain and the spiritual mind coming together. And it's even more believable coming from you or her. So, again, keep going. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's an awesome point. You know, I think that one of the things that has given me an edge, if you will, has been that because I'm, I'm approaching this from this kind of empirical science-based perspective, it means so much more to me. Um, uh, my belief is, and this is uh, ironic that we'll talk about beliefs in this context, but you know, I believe that there's one thing that every single person has, and it's yours, and it's yours alone, and nobody can affect it except you, and that is your belief system. Now, most people have a belief system that I've experienced as I communicate to people, and I had one uh, that is handed to them. You know, I was brought up uh, raised in a Catholic uh, home. I went to the Catholic schools full time, and I had a very structured and rigorous belief system handed to me. And I didn't really believe it. I was effectively a surrogate for that belief system. And that didn't, it never felt real to me, but I knew all of the traditions and I knew how to say the right things. And I wanted it some of it to be true. I wanted the good parts to be true, but the, the hell and damnation and, and all the other stuff, I didn't want that to be true. So it, it was interesting how I kind of uh, didn't walk away from it necessarily, but it stopped becoming relevant as I started to focus on the science side. And so my belief system changed and evolved and became more pragmatic, materialist, and reductionist. I became so focused on that way of looking at the world and looking at life and then as I became and opened myself up to spirituality, I started to realize that the most important thing that a person can do when it comes to their belief system is be able to question it. Because if you can't question your belief system, if somebody says something to you and it doesn't resonate or sound right, then you need to be able to question it. Because if you can't question your belief system, then I'd offer that it probably isn't a valid belief system for you. If you, if you just say, well, I believe this because this is the way it's supposed to be, not how I feel, then that's mm-hmm. a challenge, presents a challenge. And that's exactly what I experienced from the science standpoint. And now as I'm interacting with people and as I'm helping parents that are, that are struggling in that cycle of grief, you know, they get into that because it's a spiral and it, and it can pull you down so deep. And as I talk to them, very often the, the things that stick, the things that make it difficult for them is they're still holding on to a belief system. Very often it's a religious belief system. Well, I can't believe this mm-hmm. or this can't happen, and, and I'm un- incapable of doing that. Whatever those things are, whatever they believe, as soon as they say, I can't do this, well, then they're reinforcing that. <laughs> when when right. they say, I don't Absolutely. believe the, you know, this, it's like, okay, well, then. That's why it's not happening for you because you don't believe it. If you don't believe it, then 
uh, you know, clearly you're going to struggle with that. And if you can't question your belief system and allow yourself to interrogate it and uh, research it, view it, you know, and engage in, in inquiry about it, then I don't believe you can ever really truly get to a point where you can believe something. Yes. Otherwise, I you aren't believe, just a surrogate. I believe thoughts become things, and I believe that um, your, your mind is the most powerful tool that you have. And I also went to the same school as you. Uh, sounds exactly the same, even though it wasn't the same one, but uh, the whole Catholic upbringing and everything. And, and it, it, it really doesn't have to do with religion. It has a lot to do with faith and uh, faith in anything. All religions to me are, you know, are, they're all what it means to you, what it does for you. And if someone feels that they're, their particular religion or their particular church gives them what they need in their time of need, then that's a fabulous thing. But it doesn't apply to everyone. You know, people, people do have to be skeptical. Like you said, a healthy skeptic is good. Questioning things, questioning your belief system, questioning everything is important. But you also have to be willing to open up your mind and see the other side of things. Now, what I'd love for you to do is uh, tell some stories uh, about Davy. Uh, give us a little background on him, something about Davy, so we can all kind of feel him, and uh, and then how you really heard him for the first time or felt him for the first time. Could you do that? Okay. Sure. Yeah. So Davy, uh, Davy is the the second of my children. I have a, an older and younger daughter. Uh, between Davy, who's they're three years apart, and uh, Davy uh, has this ability to kind of be in between the two girls. You know, my daughters um, have very vibrant personalities and very unique personalities, and we're very close as a family. Uh, we did a lot of stuff together. We continue to do things together, and uh, the girls could kind of rub each other the wrong way at times and uh, Davey somehow managed to be able to be in between the two of them because he was in the middle of the two in age and he kind of made everything work between the two of them which was neat uh, so Davey was a natural mediator um, he has this ability to engage with people and and you will hear me talk about Davey and I want to just make this very clear I, I alternate back and forth between past tense and present tense with Davy, because sometimes I'll, when I talk about past tense, I'm talking it as though he was younger. And when I talk about him in the present tense, because I don't, I know where he is. He's not gone. He's with me all the day. He's with me right now. So I'm, uh, you may hear me jump between those two. And that's, that's just kind of the way that I talk about him. Um, mm -hmm. And so Davy, as he was growing up, he was just this really beautiful young man. He just uh, uh, had a way of being the center of all of his friends. Uh, the number of uh, people that I knew, I, I coached um, all of my children in sports as they grew up. And that gave me access to a lot of these kids. My wife is a, a teacher, a public high school teacher. And so she also knows virtually all of our, the kids in our community. And so between the two of us, we have this huge uh, uh, group of young people that we've gotten to know as they've grown up. And so being part of that, being able to see that and then see the impact that Davey had, both while he was physically here and now since he's transitioned, 
um, made it very clear that Davy is a very special uh, soul. He has a he has a very vibrant, very strong soul. Um, he comes through to me very, very clearly, very, very frequently. Um, since he uh, transitioned, uh, I've had multiple experiences with Davy. Um, the most profound was actually three weeks after Davy's transition, three weeks after his accident. And at that point in the journey, I was really mired in grief. Uh, I could not get beyond the idea that he was gone. All thoughts had exited my head and all I focused on was that. And as an engineer, as a, an entrepreneur at that point that worked from home and he was working on a startup with me, uh, I would stare across at his empty desk every day. And it was just brutal. It was just so hard. And uh, I sat down and I had heard, I'd read online that it's a good idea to write a letter to a person that had passed to communicate your thoughts to them in kind of a consistent way. And I thought, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to do that. And I sat down at the computer and I just stared at a blinking cursor for like two hours. I couldn't figure out how to address this letter to my son that had died. That was what held me up. It was a dear Davey. Hey buddy. You know, how do you, I couldn't, mm-hmm. that's what, that's what stopped me. And I just sat there. Those are the kind of things that when you're, when you're deep in grief, one little thing can just create a roadblock for you that stops everything. And that was it. And finally, I just typed out, I don't think I can do this. And very clearly in my head, I heard Davy's voice and he said, it's okay, dad, I'm right here. And I just typed that down and all of a sudden, I started a dialogue with my son, and it was the most amazing, beautiful thing, Pat. I can't express to you how much that conversation meant to me at that time. And I typed out everything that he said, and I was just sharing my heart, you know, just, you know, why is this happening and what's going on, and I miss you so much. And, and he's, t- he's comforting me. He's telling me it's okay, and he's describing heaven for me, and he's telling me these things that – were so alien to me at the time. And this is what I talked about earlier when I said later, as I was going on my spiritual journey and started reading spiritual literature, and I'm reading that the things that he's telling me that I had written down were things that I'm now reading in books was just mind blowing for me. Because while I'm sitting here recording this and feeling this incredible emotional connection to my son, i at, at the end of it, I'm looking at the computer and I'm, I'm just thinking, my God, I can't believe this just happened. And then immediately my left brain jumps in and says, well, I think you just made it all up. That's not right. It, it was just such a beautiful thing, you know? And um, that was, uh, that was one uh, of the first examples. Um, and then um you know, later as I, as I continued on this journey and I just couldn't shake that feeling that, I, that he was there and I kept trying to connect to him, I struggled after that. I, I couldn't get the kind of connection that I had that day. And so I started taking up meditation. And meditation for me was such an important, uh, it's such an important uh, tool for being able to kind of keep the mind, uh, the frantic mind that was constantly throwing thoughts in my head back, kind of muted. Um, uh, that, that was really important. You know, one of the gifts of profound grief 
is that all of the minutia of the day, all of the petty squabbles and thoughts and concerns about family and friends and work and all that stuff, they all kind of go away. They, they, they get pushed out of your head and, and the grief is the only thing that exists. And, and as that grief started to just slightly taper because of my spiritual te- you know, uh, um, education, as I was voraciously reading everything I could get my hands on, I found that when, the, when those mundane thoughts started to come back in my head, that it's like, you know what, I don't want you back in my head. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push the mute button on you. And meditation was the tool for doing that. Yes, it's what I've taught forever, and I'm forever telling my listeners, meditation is the key. It is the key to opening up, learning how to close all that minutia, learning how to calm the mind and listen. I tell them prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening, but it's also listening to Davy and all their loved ones. And uh, could you, I'm thinking of different things in the book, would you talk about, how you felt uh, when you feel him. Uh, you, you mentioned jogging uh, in a park and, or taking a run and what it was like to feel him next to you. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, that story, and I relate that story in the book, uh, was actually, uh, it was interesting. I, I, um, I was walking through the park. It was uh, Easter Sunday. It was less than a year uh, after his passing. And I had kind of what I felt at that time had turned the corner pretty well on the grief. And was, uh, I was all of uh, three weeks away from having my father passed as well. Now, Davey is uh, David Reese Allison the fourth. I'm the third. My dad is the second. And, and my dad passed uh, five months, 250 days after Davey. Um, and, uh, so I was, uh, I, Davey, the passing, and Davey's transition had changed my perspective so that when my dad transitioned, it was a lot easier for me. Um, I was able to process it uh, quite a bit more, and we had a lot of other challenges that I talk about in the book with uh, some of Davey's classmates as well. So that was all kind of on my mind as I'm taking this walk in the park. And I'm, I'm jogging, and, and uh, it's a wooded trail, and as I'm high, running along, I felt Davey's presence, and... I can only equate it to, I didn't see him. It wasn't like I saw him in like a third eye. I I didn't. I just, I felt like he was right there. It's almost like, um, you know, when you sense that somebody isn't standing in line behind you, even though you don't turn around and look right at them, but you feel like they're there. It was that kind of sense. But it was this beautiful, warm, sunny presence. And it just made me smile. And I just felt like, oh my gosh, this is the most beautiful thing. And I, it's weird because, um, and this is where words really don't do justice for how you describe the presence when it happens, but it was this feeling of love that just radiated from my heart and it just kind of took over my whole body and embraced, um, even though I'm running, even though I'm still carrying on physically, I just felt his presence as this embrace. Um, it was unlike uh, an earlier one, which I'll talk about in a second, where I, I actually saw him. This time I didn't, and I'm running along. And the next thing I know, my dad is actually next to me on this trail. 
and I see my dad who had just passed as a young man riding a horse. And I could see him. I could make out the detail of the horse he's riding. My dad was a, a rancher when he was young and, and had ridden horses. And, and so I had this uh, amazing visual experience with my dad. And later in that same walk with my mother and grandmother. And, you know, so, and I talk about that in detail in the book. It was just such a, you know, getting that, getting that connection. I, I feel those connections in two places. They, they happen to me in two uh, circumstances where they come in and they're very rich and very detailed. One is in meditation and the other is when I'm out in the woods, when I'm in nature and I'm not just processing thoughts, but I'm actually looking at the trees, I'm looking at the grass, I'm looking at the dirt and the animals and anything I can see and just loving everything that I see when that happens Oh, it's just that those are the moments that spirit just comes in and, and becomes part of that experience. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, it, it absolutely does. And, you know, being in nature, there are two ways, I would say, at the beach and at nat- in nature. Um, for me, it's nature. I love the water, but I don't like going in it. But I love to be there because I can, uh, I can really get lost in the sound of the water and the sound of the birds and uh, and the peace of it. But when I'm in nature, that's when I really connect. And I, you know, it, to me, I, I hear every leaf. I hear every leaf blow. I meditate outside. That's usually what I do. I meditate mm-hmm. to the sound of leaves and, and birds mm. and, and grass even. So um, mm-hmm. I totally get what you're saying and if more and more people would begin to step out uh, into nature and and even walk just walk and and try to close down that mind of of nonsense that runs through when I teach meditation and of course this is deviating a little bit but when I teach meditation I people always tell me well I can't shut off my thoughts I don't know how to shut down my brain and I said yes you can do it just very gently, when the busy thought comes in, just put it in a bubble and let it float away and say, thank you, I'll get to you later, and then come back to your thoughts or the music or if someone is, is speaking. And then when the next busy thought comes in, you do the same thing. Thank you, I got it. Because it's all part of our subconscious mind. So rather than fight it, mm-hmm. you just kind of incorporate it and let them float away. And it puts you in a meditative yeah. state much quicker. So. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have quite a few callers, but before we go to callers, um, I would like to ask you to talk about one other thing that fascinated me uh, about the book, and that was Davy's state of mind and behavior right before he passed. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the um, the three days leading up to Davy's accident, um, Davy died in a solo car accident. He was driving to a local park to go for a trail run, and uh, um, he he physically got into the accident uh, ten minutes after leaving the house. Uh, we didn't find out till four or five hours later. Uh, but in that, but in the three days leading up to that day, up to that moment in time. Davey, uh, because he worked with me, came down in my office and said, uh, the, the Monday of, this, of that week, uh, he said, 
uh, came into the office and he and he sat down across from me and hit, at his desk and and he just broke out crying and you know Davey's 24 years old he's a you know well-adjusted kid and he's you know we're working on a business together he's an entrepreneur he's learning under the you know under his mentor we're kind of going through all this stuff and he breaks out crying I'm like Davey what's wrong and he said Dad I finally get it I finally believe in God and it's the most beautiful thing ever and that kind of took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting that to happen. And so we started to explore that. And for the next two, three hours, we talked about, you know, God and the universe. And, and I kind of told him my kind of religious perspective of it, what I had been taught from a religious standpoint. But because he had just said, I believe in God, I didn't want to just say, and science says that that doesn't exist. I kind of walked through the Big Bang Theory and the concept of the scale of the universe and, and, and you know, kind of walking through a, a couple of different things. He's, he was in rapt attention for what I wanted to say. And, and we kind of went back and forth talking about this, but it, was, it became very, very clear. It, at that point in time, I was not happy with this revelation. I looked at him and thought, what's he doing? You know, we're supposed to be working here. This is not, you know, you don't just all of a sudden start talking about, you know, God and your perspectives, right? And uh, it wasn't until later that I looked back on that conversation and then the following conversations where he went through this huge transformation right before the accident, where he basically said, Dad, I, I don't know that I want to keep doing this business. I, I need to be out in nature. I need to be outside. I can't just be in an office like you are. And I you know, God is the most amazing thing. And it's all about love, dad. And you're, you're too consumed with work and you need to be thinking about love. My God, love is this amazing thing. And he was in, in this euphoric state. And, uh, frankly, it scared, scared the bejesus out of me. I, I, yeah. I was calling my wife. She was at the, at our beach house and I'm thinking he's having a psychotic episode. That's the only logical explanation for this. Right. And I'm I'm in a in a full state of panic and and uh, you know my my wife I finally convinced her to come home and she uh, through all kinds of different you know reasons didn't arrive until after the accident had happened and before the police got here and so uh, we were in this process of trying to figure out what's going on with Davy you know what what was happening and it wasn't until about four days after the accident. And, you know, I was just still completely devastated and, and in full grief that my brother, who is, uh, had flown out from California and is a, a very spiritual person and was my rock through this. My wife and my brother were the two rocks that I leaned on very heavily. Um, my brother was a deputy sheriff in a past life, so he kind of went through and said, hey, let me, you know, tell me again what happened. And he walked through and we all explained our connections because both because I, my daughters, and my wife all had deep conversations with Davy on this topic. He wanted to talk to them about this. So each one of us had this real big conversation with Davy, and right before he transitioned, and my brother, we each separately, you know, described all of this to my brother, and he kind of looked at it all as we had not collectively, and and just said, you know, have you considered that this is you know, something divine happening here that maybe he knew that this was happening and this is his way of preparing you for it. And I was kind of blown away when he said that. I didn't believe at that point. There was no way I'd believe it. But 
the more I read afterwards and the concept of, of, a, of a soul plan and the concept of, of a soul's knowledge kind of poking through and then seeing all of these examples of people that knew and now talking to so many parents that have lost children that tell me it's like these things happened to me right before my child passed and, and are transitioned. And, it, you know, it sounds like the same thing, like they knew that this was coming. And so mm-hmm. I think that was a that was a profound moment for me because uh, there were a couple of things that Davey said that I'd never heard uh, a person say before outside of a relationship between two people. I would no question I would call my wife my soulmate. I, I just that you know we've been happily married for over thirty years and she's my soulmate. My son said to me, "Dad, you're my soulmate," and that was the sweetest thing he could have possibly said to me. But I was also kind of like, wait, where's that coming from? You know, what, what is that? And he said that to my wife as well. And it wasn't until later that I started reading about soul groups and how we incarnate and, and learn from each other and, and are here specifically to help with specific things that that made sense to me. So it was mm-hmm. kind of reviewing back, going back and looking at the conversation in retrospect that really affected my view of it if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. And, and again, I had a client this morning. I'm forever teaching people about soulmates and soul groups and how we travel together, good, bad, and indifferent, our friends, our lovers, our enemies. Uh, we travel different lifetimes. We may come back a few here and a few there, and maybe there's a big group, maybe there's a small group, but we all interact with each other. Soulmates can be so many different people. Um, but, you know, we have things we have to carry out. And I have also heard many, many, many stories of men and women and children who say things like Davy did, who say unusual things out of nowhere, even a seven-year-old, right before they pass. And mm. their soul knows, their soul knows, our souls know, that we're going to pass. We may not cognitively realize it or recognize it, but the soul always knows. And again, I could I could list I can't tell you how many stories of people that said or did something or tied up loose at loose ends or left notes. It just it's incredible. It's incredible. So you know, again, I'm in this field for a long time. Uh, you landed in it two years ago, and look at all you've learned. And I, I can't tell you how lucky you are, how lucky you are that you have learned, because there's so many people out there in such terrible grief, and the grief just does not go away. I mean, listen, you're always going to mourn the loss of your son, but you're going to celebrate it. That's what you're doing. That's what you do. You celebrate Davy every day. But, you know, well, if you didn't that, find it... Yeah, that- I don't know how it would turn out for you. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we impose so many things. You know, that, that's one of the things that I learned with grief is that society and culture tends to impose grief. And I'm told, uh, you know, you're going to be sad forever or you're going to have this forever. Um, this is always going to be bad. And, and, and I understand that. I mean, I, I accept that. And now the perspective that I have has just changed. I, I accept and understand people are going to say those things and it's okay. They're not, they don't mean it intentionally. It's not hurtful in their intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, it 
hurts a person who's trying to say, well, I want to be happy. It's like, oh, no, no, you're okay to be sad. Just like, wait, but, <laughs> just, but now I'm happy? It's like, no, 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 you're really sad. You know? It's like, okay, uh, thanks. <laughs> Um, it, it is, it, it is funny, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. You know, we, we put this pall, if you will, over death and we don't need to because we, you know, the thing that I've done and Allison, my wife is, is doing this as well is, you know, when you change your perspective, when you look at life as though you are this physical body and, you know, you've got uh, this collection of meat and bones and gray matter and everything else. And that's you. And that's physically you. And you feel physical pain. And so you identify with it and you identify your thoughts as you when, when you are that physical being and you, you look at it as, Oh yeah. And I have a soul. Um, you know, my view is very different. My view is that, you know, you're, you're, you are a soul and you just have this temporary body and the temporary body is just a vehicle for experiences plain and simple. And that doesn't mean it, it's not important. It's a beautiful temple. It, it houses the soul, but it's just temporary. And it changes constantly throughout life. And when you look at, when I look at my son, I don't look at the physical side of him anymore because I can focus on that. I can put my attention on his physical self, but that physical self ceases to exist. It is not in existence right now. His physical body has been turned to ash. He was cremated. So the, the physical nature of his energy is now, you know, resting at the matter that, that the energy put together that embodied him physically is now, you know, not there. It's not in a form that I can embrace and, and talk to. But the energy, his soul, the core of who he was, that, that, pers- that personality that was created that was embodied in that physical package is still there. And I can still mm-hmm. connect with him. I can connect with him anytime I want. And, you know, so when I focus on that, when I see myself as a soul, it's easier for me to see my son that way as well. Because mm-hmm. if, I, if I focus myself as being a body, if I focus myself on being just matter, and that's the experience, and it's hard to get out of that because we're, that, that's how we physically perceive things, right? That because of that, I can't, I can't extract myself and, and, and really appreciate uh, the nature of my soul. But if I flip it and put myself from the become soul centered and view my view, my body as that physical temple that's carrying it around, then I can look at my son. I can look at other people differently. And that's what I do now. That's the way I look at every single person. That's perfect. I'm going to uh, just announce the call-in number and pick up a caller or two, but anyone that wants to call in and has a question for David, uh, the call-in number is 914-338-0499. And I'm going to pick up a call now, uh, 406-399. You are on the air. Who am I speaking with? Hi, it's Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Um, Hi, I was wondering about did did he like think he was going crazy when it first happened? Hi, Debbie. Um, yeah, certifiable, pretty much, um, <laughs> because my belief system was actually kind of constraining the way I looked at it. And so what I tried to do was look at it as some kind of 
you know, symptom of a psychosis um, or a manifestation of physical, the physical manifestation of grief. Because if you believe that your mind and your thoughts and everything that, that powers the way that you, you know, your, your reality, that, that consciousness that you have, that sense of self is just chemical reactions in the brain. I thought clearly that grief injected some kind of adrenaline type thing into my system that made me hallucinate that. So yeah, I thought I was going crazy. Um, but the weird part was that I could talk about it in these terms. It wasn't like I, like I was seeing purple elephants flying around the room. I, I, I felt like I was being very objective and pragmatic about it at the same time, which made me feel like, well, wait, I, if I'm, if this is what crazy is, then maybe crazy isn't that bad, you know? So mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope that helps, Good. Debbie. Yeah, it does. Well, then how did you learn from there? How did you go from I think there the to... Yeah, the key was really um, getting out of my own way. Um, You know, my, uh, because, you know, the thoughts that would happen, what would happen initially was I would uh, feel that I was communicating with my son, but it sounded like my voice. You know, we have a, we all have an inner monologue, right? You know, we manifest our thoughts and they come across as words and, and images and things. And, and when the words would come across, it almost sound like I was reading quietly to myself and I would read and I would hear, you know, I would hear Davy, but it sounded like me. And I would dismiss it as that until I started to believe, wait, is this really Davy? And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm, it was pretty clear that, that it was not me creating that. And once I accepted that, once I said, okay, I'm going to, let's dive in, let's accept for a minute that that voice that I'm hearing that. The, the message that I'm receiving is actually from Davy. Let's assume that it is. And the response that I got back from Davy was finally, just, okay, well, well <laughs> I guess I'm doing it the right way. So kind of getting out of my own way and stopping those doubts from coming in because they, they happen like crazy. I mean, they, they, to this day, a doubt will pop in, you know, are you just making that up? And then it's like, no, I'm not making that up. And it's like, oh, thank you. You know, I'm, I'm not making that up. So uh, I, I hope well, that makes David, it clear. David again and Debbie, I train people to do this. And they all hear it in their voice. It all comes in their voice. And a lot of it has to do with the feeling that comes with the voice. And if you start to pay attention to the gut feeling that goes with it, you'll recognize that it's not coming from you. It's coming through you. And it just comes in our voice. It's really that simple. And I know it's hard to uh, wrap your brain around, but I do it every day with people, every single day. And they all look at me like, am I crazy? Am I hearing that? Uh, You know, am I making it up? But then I start to have them practice with other people and get validation on the fact that they're not making it up. They're hearing someone's loved one. And uh, just another comment on what you said, David, um, I get a lot of children that are gifted that come to me, and it's hard to explain to little children what's going on about a soul. And I explain it to them like a snake shedding its skin because that they can relate to. 
you know, I asked them, have you ever seen that? Or have you ever seen a tarantula step out and they leave the whole physical shell behind? Uh, and, and, again, that's an analogy that I give to little ones because at least that's a concept they can get. But we adults, <laughs> we're tough. <laughs> we're tough. Uh, yes. But, Debbie, thank you. Thank you for calling in and, uh, and having thank the courage you, to ask And I'm going to stay. I want you to stay tuned, and I'm going to move to the next caller. Okay, this one's going to be 646-373. You are on the air. Who am I talking to? Can you hear me out there? Do we have a shy one? Okay, I'm going to move on. It's okay. 631-864. Can you hear me? Hello, hello. Anybody there? Okay, we're going to keep going. I'll come back to them if they're still around. Uh, six, I two, hope three. I haven't put your listeners to sleep. Oh, no, you haven't. 623-999, anyone there? Hi, yes, I'm here. Hi, who's talking? Hello. Hi, hello, I can Kat. hear you. Hi, What's David. your name? My name is Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi, what Mary. would you like to Hi. ask, David? Okay, so I have three questions for David, and I have one question for you, Pat, if you don't mind. Not at all. David, my question is, how are your daughters doing, and what are they seeing, and have they considered writing books? That's one question. Um, Also, when and what meditations do you do? Do you do them in the morning? Do you do them kind of as you feel like you need to? Do you have a set schedule for meditating? And what meditations do you like to connect with David? And I guess uh, the other question for Pat is when you channel, um, does that mean that someone is sort of taking over your body for a minute? Or is there a certain type of channeling that you do where you don't give up your body to someone else? Okay. Well, I'll answer mine after. I'm going to let David go first because uh, he has more to okay. say. <laughs> go ahead, David. Um, my daughters, uh, both uh, Jocelyn and Julia, have had different experiences. Um, and that's the thing that's that's uh, been profound for all of us because my wife uh, is on this journey with me. That, that's been a, a tremendous blessing for me because we get an opportunity to share and compare compare our experiences and things. But even the two of us who – have gone through so much of our lives together. We've been apart uh, together much longer than we were, you know, uh, world. <laughs> so we, we've been together a long time and, and uh, we've had uh, a lifetime of shared experiences and we shared this loss directly. And, and uh, even still at this point, our, the experiences that we have are very different. And so for our daughters, it's profoundly different in terms of how they're adjusting to it. Um, you know, it, it comes and goes, it can be very different. Uh, when, you know, as a parent, we've seen so much of our lives already and our children, uh, especially our youngest, uh, you know, she's just finishing college. So, you know, she's going through and going to uh, experience different points throughout her life. And she's already started to, you know, Davy's accident happened six days before her 21st birthday. So she was all excited about, 
Davy coming out to the beach and having a big celebration with her, and then this happens. And so, you know, it, it derailed a lot of her plans for, for a while, especially while she was in college. Um, but uh, both my daughters have, have rebounded from it very well. Um, my oldest has gone on her own spiritual journey. She's, she has uh, become a deeply spiritual person herself. Um, her boyfriend is very spiritual. They uh, are just wrapping up traveling around the country for the last two months, kind of living in and living in different campsites, just experiencing the outdoors. So, it, you know, it's had, uh, it's put our life paths on very different trajectories, but we, prior to this, were really kind of on a treadmill. You know, we had, you know, you, you, get married, you, you know, you have kids, you grow up, you have uh, the kids go off to college, they get jobs, then you hope they get married and repeat that process. And now you can see that it's kind of going in different angles and, and that's perfectly okay. So, um, you know, they, they kind of are adjusting and dealing with it in their own way. The experiences that they've had that they've shared with us, um, they, see, they both see signs regularly um, and they both do uh, feel, especially initially, that that there was a deep connection with Davy. Um, I, I don't believe either one of them really meditate, so I don't know that they're making that kind of uh, the kind of effort that we are. So, so the idea of them writing a book was is probably not, at least not. I can't foresee that right now. Um, uh, I would love if they would, because they're both brilliant writers. Um, and in terms of the meditations, the meditations that I've found, uh, I use uh, an app on my phone called Insight Timer. Uh, it's a free app. Highly, highly recommend this app. Uh, I think it's available for Android as well as iPhone. <clears throat> and it has a number of different meditations on it uh, that you can get. I like the binaural, non-speaking, non-guided meditations. Um, the binaural ones, uh, there's uh, Hemisync makes some as well, where they use a, a beat system that kind of has very soothing music that, that pulsates between the left and the right ear very subtly, and um, it can entrain your mind more easily. Uh, so I found those to be a very soothing way of kind of helping me get into that zone. Um, that, that's what I tend to use for meditation. I, I, I rarely use guided meditations now. I did in the beginning, but I, I don't mm -hmm. now. Got it. Excellent. Okay, great. Okay, now for my question. Okay. <laughs> so you, 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 you repeat the question. It has to do with channeling sure. someone. Do we allow them to take us over? Is that where you were going? Yeah. Yes, I was just wondering, channeling seems to be a little bit of a catch-all, and I've noticed what I thought was channeling where one person kind of sets their own person aside and lets someone come inside them and speak through them. I That's that actually now. called trans-channeling. Okay. Okay. Um, it is allowing yourself to step aside uh, your your thought process, your soul, just kind of stepping out and letting something else come in. I'm not a fan of it. Um, right. I, I, have, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you're monitored properly, it's okay. Um, I've seen quite a few people do it over, over a 20-year period, some that have not been truthful. And, you know, it, it's hard to tell the difference when someone trans channels. It really does, be, is, because they're – 
their voices get a little bit weird and their physical actions become a little bit weird. And I've asked questions when I'm in the presence of someone uh, not knowing who I was and found them to be not truthful. Uh, And then, of course, there are others that I've seen channel angels and um, highly elevated souls, uh, and they have amazing, brilliant messages that come out of their mouths. Uh, it, it kind of happened to me once a long, long time ago, and I felt an energy coming into my body when I was actually taking classes in the very beginning of all of this, and I knew what it was, and I stopped it. It was a very heavy feeling, and it entered my body, and I would say I allowed it to stay there until it hit my thighs. <laughs> and then I said, nah, I don't think I like this. I want you to step out. So I was still very conscious of my own thoughts at that point in time. But the people that I teach to channel, and again, that's trans-channeling. It's a completely different thing than what we do. I channel energy to heal, and it comes through me. And it's archangels and, and, and masters and guides and Jesus and whoever, whoever decides to send energy through my body. And I just allow myself to be the vessel, but I don't allow them to encompass my body. Um, the people that I teach, same thing. Okay, it's very much like David is explaining. Uh, you, you just allow that voice, which again is in your it comes in your voice. You allow that to come through. And you have to really start paying attention to it until you recognize the difference between the two. I can have a conversation with a friend who's a channeler, and um, we'll just be talking on the phone. And all of a sudden, she'll be telling me something profound and say, you know that's not me, right? <laughs> you know, and, and I do, because I know when the energy shifts. I know when the words are different. And uh, especially when somebody's talking angelically, uh, you absolutely know that it is not the person that is using those words. And when you notice that it's not something you would say, uh, you definitely know that you're channeling. So it does take some practice. And I would say read, 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 read. David read. He, he read as much as he could. I swallowed books whole when I first started this journey. I couldn't get enough information. And... Um, It is an amazing journey. We're all here to participate in that. Everybody has a job of service that we've been, that we agreed to, okay, before we came here. And uh, it's just getting in touch with that. Go ahead, David. Yeah, Pat, I actually have a question. I kind of have a question for you as a result of that, because, and, and it's kind of a clarification on what Mary asked, which is this whole concept of the way that the, thoughts came it come in this is the thing that's odd when i think when i'm processing something i actually kind of linguistically process something i will linguistically work through the words of something well i like this i don't like that i want this to happen what i found when i was channeling if you will davy when i'm connecting with him in meditation the fully formed thought is just there in my head it's yes. as though the entire the, – the whole thing is delivered instantaneously. It's not like a um, – it's not like a process that needs to go through. And that's a, that was 
that's the one thing that I've found that helps me distinguish between the two is the realization that where did that come from? It's just there. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yes, it just kind of pops into your head. And this is, again, when I teach classes on this, I try to tell people just open your mouth. Just open your mouth. Don't think. Just let the words come out of your mouth because that is how it happens. It's just kind of dropped in. And um, after a while, you learn not to think anymore and to just let it flow. I recently taught a class, and and one girl said, I don't think I belong in this class. I really don't know if if I should be here. Other people are doing this and that. And I said, you need to stop thinking. You need to stop thinking. She was sitting with me, and she was going to give me a little reading. And, of course, she was extra nervous because she was sitting in front of me. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm the best person to sit in front of because I'm going to help you, and I'm going to break it down for you, and I'm going to teach you based on what you say. So she started to talk, and I said, just let the words come. And it just all spilled out. (laughs) And she looked at me when she was done. She said, oh, my goodness, (laughs) where did that come from? But it's getting out of your own way. And, David, you said that. It's getting out of your own way. And, you know. We we, we have a tremendous ability to to put up walls uh, that prevent it from coming in. And it's just self-imposed. You know, we're embarrassed. We don't want to accept it. We don't want to think that we're going crazy. Um, you know, and, and society doesn't really like the idea of people being able to, <laughs> to accept that, oh, you talked to, to somebody that's died. Okay, yeah, good for you. Right, um, it's right, like, exactly. They are yeah, learning, that's though. That's a socially acceptable thing. I, I think that, you know, anybody that's gone through profound grief can appreciate it. I've talked to a number of people that have lost children that have experienced profound grief that are very stoic and, and especially guys, we, you know, men, we, we tend to not emote too well, um, not externally. Uh, we repress it. And so, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of guys that now all of a sudden as I'm having these conversations with them, it's like, wow, I never really, you know, I'm, this is weird talking about it. It's like, this is this is life, you know. You lost a child, and you don't even want to talk about it. Let, that's okay. Let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that's I think for me the thing that I that I enjoy about being on this journey is helping people open up, especially men. It's like, guys, come on, you can do this. It's, All right. Well, yeah. you're the guy to don't, do it. Don't let these I, We we've yeah. come to an end, and I I want to just give out David's number because he he has a not his number his email address. It's drallison, A-L-I-S-O-N, at gmail.com. And uh, he would love to help anybody that has a question about it. And, uh, you know, he's done a fabulous job in a short time. And his book is amazing. And I hope that everybody uh, will go out and get a copy, Finding Davy. Um, and uh, I'm just going to shoot out that I'm going to be in Wisconsin, if anybody's out in that area, I'm going to be at the Ridge Resort in Lake Geneva, uh, Wisconsin, on November 3rd. I'll be uh, a keynote speaker with a group of, of mediums and healers, and uh, it should be fun from 10 to 5. It's called All Souls Weekend. So look it up if anybody's in the area or knows anybody in the area. I would love to see you there. And uh, David, I want to thank you. Mary, I want to thank you for calling. And, uh, uh, David, we're going to have to thank do this you. again sometime. Yeah, this was great, Pat. Thank you so much, and I appreciate all that you do for people. This is just uh, fantastic. You are most welcome. And uh, I am going to hook you up with that other radio show, without a doubt. 
right, everybody, have a great night. And uh, I actually have to run out. I'm going to take off real quick. All right, right, good night, and thank you again. Good night. Bye. Bye Thank you, Pat.